Hi, La Jolla Community Church. Are you looking for some friends to celebrate with this Christmas season? Then join us for the Young Adults Christmas Party on Sunday, December 5th. This event will take place after the second service from 12.30 p.m. to 2.30 p.m. at the LJCC campus. All young adults between the ages of 18 and 35 are welcome to join. So dust off that Christmas sweater, grab a friend, and come celebrate with us. If you'd like to participate in the White Elephant Gift Exchange, please bring a gift that costs no more than $20. The sillier, the better. I hope to see you there. And hey, do you believe in miracles? Because we do. The Believe in Miracles Christmas experience is taking place on Saturday, December 11th from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. at La Jolla Community Church. Come join us for a magical Christmas celebration. You'll be able to walk through twinkling lights, falling snow, experience the live nativity scene, play games, and win prizes. We'll also have hot chocolate, apple cider, tea, and treats from our Christmas store. Gather your friends and family and come celebrate the joy of Jesus' birth with us. At this event, we'll also be taking donations for the San Diego Rescue Mission. This includes adult socks, beanies, toothpaste, toothbrush, soap, shampoo, and even gently used toddler and children's clothing. Treats and drinks are available from our Christmas store for free with every donation. We'll see you here. Good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Well, welcome to La Jolla Community Church. We're going to get started with worship, so if you're able and would like to stand, you're more than welcome.
season of Advent, we ask you to endow us with hope. We need hope when we're feeling helpless. We need hope when we're feeling weak. We need hope for a brighter future. We need hope 
for a meaningful life. And most important, we need hope for more peace, love, and understanding throughout this wonderful world that you've created. Help us to receive and respond to Pastor Steve's message this morning, to walk in your light, and to live our lives filled with your glory, our faith, and hope. We ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus, who gave us hope. Amen. Well, good morning. You may be seated. As you arrived, you received a bulletin, and on it, you'll find a Connect card and a prayer card. If you're joining us for the first time today, please take a moment to fill out the Connect card to let us know that you're here, and we'll help you get connected. We invite you to fill out the prayer card so we can be praying for you this week, and you can drop off the cards and your tithes and offerings in the envelopes and the boxes on the walls as you leave. Thank you very much. At this point, welcome up Pastor Steve Murray. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here this morning. Uh, that was so fast. Everything went so quickly this morning. I, <laughs> overwhelmingly. Uh, I, uh, I loved uh, that phrase that John used in his prayer, um, peace, love, and understanding. It makes me think of that ancient Elvis Costello song, What's So Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding? Uh, and because we live in a world where it's so... Uh, limited and uh, seems to evaporate so quickly. Uh, this season is an incredibly wonderful time to recapture that sense that, you know, uh, that's the norm. Peace, love, and understanding is the norm. Uh, and when we experience it, when we bump into it, when we receive it, when we're prompted to give it, uh, we feel more alive, don't we? So right now, uh, this Sunday is a transition between Thanksgiving and Advent. Advent begins officially next week. You see we've already gotten you ready for it. Uh, thank you, Drake, and everybody who uh, celebrated Thanksgiving here on Thursday. Not only did they uh, have a great celebration, but they then uh, decorated this place. Uh, and um, if you want to um, write down a thanks, something that you're appreciative of, there's, a, there's three trees out there. Maybe you saw them when you walked in. And you see these below in a container. Just take one of these and write what you're thankful for. See, they're small. Um, some of you will say, I need three or four of these. Okay, that's fine. You just use three or four. But we made them small so that the rest of us would go, oh, my gosh, I hate writing anything. I can't even write birthday cards. I don't, uh, do you happy? That's enough. I won't even say birthday. Everybody knows that. So this is small. So you can write something really short. Uh, why do we do Thanksgiving? Why Advent? Uh, we'll be exploring why Advent for the next several weeks. Uh, why Thanksgiving? It's a natural thing. Natural but unpracticed often. We assume a lot. We take a lot for granted. And so this is one of those great excuses, opportunities, to stop and say, I'm thankful. Uh, so please uh, make the effort to fill something out. In the meantime, uh, right now as we transition from those long, lengthy announcements to the very short, succinct sermon, uh, I want to give you a chance to perhaps uh, think of a phrase or two uh, of something for which you are thankful. And if you'd be so willing, but share it with us. Uh, if, if this is a scary thing to have somebody put a mic in your face and stand up, but Craig is going to do just that, and uh, we'll be cleaning it. We'll be cleaning it in between uh, people talking. You don't have to even touch the thing. So uh, we will be sanitizing it in between anybody speaking. If nobody speaks, it'll remain perfectly sanitized. Uh, but if you want to, uh, and I'm fine if nobody wants to, but I'm very fine if everybody wants to as well. If you want to share with us a word or a sentence about what you are thankful for, we'd just love to hear that. It would help us make this transition in, from Thanksgiving into Advent. So uh, if you want to say something, just put your hand up. We'll, we'll go right over to you, and, and we'll start there. So... I see that hand, John. Thank you. Let let Craig hold the mic for you. Well, I'm I'm I want to do a shout out for the worship team and for the congregation. Yeah, for sure. I'm I'm thankful for technology um, and the way. Um, we're getting teaching through the internet. We're, we're connecting with friends, family. 
I'm not a tech person. I've developed a little more of it during this time, and I'm really finally appreciating it. Morning, everybody. Um, I'll stand up because it's weird. Uh, <laughs> this morning, we're going up to Temecula to visit my 94-year-old grandmother. And um, she's not doing well, but I'll tell you what, she's 94 and she's lived an amazing life. And all of her family is around her and it's just been wonderful. So we feel so blessed to be able to head up there. Yeah. Yeah, we are, I guess. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Um, uh, this is uh, my wife, Linda, and, and you've been praying for her for some time. We moved here in May from Northern California, and uh, she got laid up right after Father's Day pretty seriously and was in the hospital, and uh, you've been praying for her, and she's just doing so much better. Really, really appreciative. Would you excuse me? Would you open this to a prayer request as well, or would you prefer that? Uh, write your prayer request down if you would. That'd be great. Write them down uh, on the card that you got when you walked in, and then drop it in. We'll be praying for those. So just these are just quick thanks, very brief thanks. Uh, thanks for family and friends and good fellowship. And we went up yesterday to the Reagan Library, and it was nice to have a renewal of what a good leader was, and how. He did follow the Christian principles. I highly recommend that trip to anyone. A couple more. So um, I'm just really thankful for a place to honor God and, and worship him, a place like La Jolla Community Church, and, and a place that we have the, the freedom to do that. Plus, so many places in the world you don't have that freedom. Okay. Well, thank you. That was fantastic. Uh, appreciate you giving us a little glimpse into what you're thankful for, and certainly you were speaking for all of us uh, when you shared those. And so write something else down. R write, write something that maybe came to your mind as you heard other people offer their thanks. Uh, this is the kind of thing that encourages us. Uh, it allows us to see that Thanksgiving, uh, being thankful, is, is a normal thing, is a needed thing. And, and like John prayed, peace, love, and understanding. Uh, these are not just um, things that we, we can say, well, that's great, but this is the real world. They're things that actually shape the world into something that's more real. So I want to read you a, a, the, the punchline, so to speak, uh, of Psalm 52 as we make our transition not only from Thanksgiving into Advent, but from this whole uh, Thrive and Grow series uh, into Advent. So this is Psalm 52, verses 8 to 9, and this is David writing, and he says, I'm like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. For what you have done, I will always praise you in the presence of your faithful people. And I will hope in your name, for your name is good. That's a powerful <laughs> expression, isn't it? It is so personal. Uh, it is very, it's so intimate. Sometimes the Psalms are the kind of declarative. And this one is more of a leaning close. I want to tell you something that matters to me, kind of like what some of you just did. I'm like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. And then it's a prayer of thanks to God. For what you've done, I will always praise you in the presence of your faithful people. And I will hope in your name, for your name is good. Uh, this is really symbolic at, at a couple of levels, and I'll, I'll tell you why in a very profound sense in a moment. But initially, it's, it's symbolically significant because of it being an oak tree he's invoking. The oak tree is, I mean, excuse me, olive tree. An olive tree is a symbol of peace and prosperity. An oak is a symbol of longevity. Uh, a grapevine is a symbol of let's eat. <laughs> But the olive tree, uh, and, and if you've traveled to Israel, you know this. When you see these olive trees everywhere, it reminds people um, that this is a land of peace and prosperity. Now, you might say, well, of all places to have olive trees in, why in Israel? Why in the so-called Holy Land, where it's nothing but conflict? Uh, but that's the point. Why do you thank God for his goodness in a, in a world that is so ungood, so not good? 
Why? Because we're meant to flourish like an olive tree. That's God's normative standard for us. That's non-normative in the world in which we live. And I could ruin all of our day right now by simply recounting some of the horrific things that are happening in San Diego, the city in San Diego, the county, in Southern California, in California, in the Western United States, across the country, in North America, in the Western Hemisphere, and then skip an ocean or two and pick up the narrative around the world. We would be so despondent and so depressed. We'd be so paranoid. We wouldn't want to leave. Actually, we wouldn't be paranoid because paranoia is being threatened by things, things that don't exist. Let that sink in. If there's a real threat to your well-being, you're not paranoid. You're aware of the real world. Uh, this is the harshness of the world in which we live. And uh, this is a beautiful summary of biblical faith. It says that we can move from being restless to being rooted. Restless because it is uncertain, unstable, threatening world. Uh, you might not have a visceral sense of that sitting here or even a visceral sense of that where you live. I certainly don't. But I can't help but be aware of it when I walk out the door, when I read the newspaper, if I watch the news. I read a story about something that's happening to someone, if I talk to a friend who's just come back from some place. So we move by biblical faith from restlessness to being rooted. And let me just clarify what rooted means. Rooted does not mean stuck. Often when you say something is rooted, you think, oh no, it's stuck. But in this case, rooted means it's grounded, it's life-giving, it's fruitful. So we're meant to be rooted in the goodness of God, as David uh, proclaims in uh, Psalm 52. Faith in Jesus is, a light, is, a, is alive and life-giving because all life was created through him and for us. That's why he said, I've come that you might have life in all its fullness, the way it's meant to be lived. And God is writing a better story in each of our lives as we, as we respond to him by faith. Real faith, authentic faith, genuine faith, which means I'm here and I'm open and I'm ready to receive what you want to give me. You know, unauthentic, inauthentic, disingenuous faith says, here are my conditions, I'll receive it on these conditions, on this basis, I might be open to faith. And of course, that changes everything, it's not how it works. But God wants to write a better story in each of our lives as we respond to him in authentic, genuine faith. Lord, my hands are open to what you want to put in them, what you want to provide, what you want to lead me and teach me to know and be. Now, let me just pause there and ask the obvious question. Does that sound like naive and wishful thinking? God is writing a better story in the world. Are you kidding me? Seriously, have you gotten out and seen the world lately? What better story is he writing in Syria? Would anybody in, in, in any way be able to rationalize sending your children on a backpacking trip, hitchhiking tour through Syria? No. You wouldn't send your kid to San Francisco for the weekend. Why would you send them to Syria? It always cracks me up when I talk to people in Israel and they go, I don't know how you do it. Well, do what? You live in such a dangerous place. I'm like, are you kidding me? What's dangerous about Southern California? Uh, fires, floods, earthquakes, drive-by shooting, you know, etc. cetera. Um, wow, Okay. You're right, it's kind of dangerous here, but I don't really notice it. I've gotten so used to it. So it sounds a bit naive and wishful uh, thinking to say, uh, as we respond to him by faith, God's writing a better story in our lives. Anytime you stand up for God and speak the truth about what he's doing in the world, you will sound naive and unconvincing to lots of people. You'll sound so naive and so helplessly, hopelessly out of it People will, probably because they're polite, won't laugh in your face, but they'll laugh behind your back. They say, really, it's so interesting you think that way. And especially when I open up by reading, I'm like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. Really? I hope that works for you. How is that working for you? So here's, as, as, as the uh, a great newscaster used to say, here's the rest of the story. Uh, this psalm is a response to a very bad story written by very evil men. So this is a punchline. Uh, it's, a, it's a corrective line to a hard punch. 
David is calling out evil for what it is, a perversion of God's good and perfect will. So let me read you the uh, first verses. They lead up to verses 8 and 9. It's a very short psalm that says a lot in a short uh, space. So David tells us in the, in the, in the uh, opening, in the description of the psalm, before you even get into the psalm, that this is written uh, because of a man named Doeg, who you've never heard of. D-O-E-G, Doeg. Uh, he uh, was not an Israeli. Uh, he was a part of the tribe of, that Esau um, was the head of. And he was uh, of the same tribe that ultimately Herod the Great came from, the Edomites. And you know that when the Bible mentions Edomites, it's never a good day. It means bad things are going to happen to everybody you know and love. And so Doeg the Edomite is the centerpiece for this psalm. He's the inspiration for the psalm. And here's what David says about Doeg the Edomite. Why do you boast of evil, you, quote, mighty hero? This is a legitimate phrase that means mighty man, mighty person. But the context says it's you big dude, you important person, you big, big deal. You are so awesome. So it's, it's a massive insult at the very opening line of the psalm. Uh, who do you, why do you boast of evil, you mighty hero? Why do you boast all day long, you who are a disgrace in the eyes of God? You who practice deceit, your tongue plots destruction. It's like a sharpened razor. You love evil rather than good, falsehood rather than speaking the truth. You love every harmful word, you deceitful tongue. Surely God will bring you down to everlasting ruin. He will snatch you up and pluck you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous will see in fear. They will laugh at you, saying, Here now is the man who did not make God his stronghold, but trusted in his great wealth and grew strong by destroying others. And he wraps up the psalm by saying, I am like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. For what you have done, I will always praise you in the presence of your faithful people. And I will hope in your name, for your name is good. What a bewildering psalm. Except that, here's the context. David, the mighty warrior, slays Goliath. Saul is so impressed, he he invites him to be his son-in-law. So David marries Saul's daughter. He he moves into the family estate. Saul's the king of Israel, first king. And then David goes from victory to victory, phenomenal exploit to phenomenal exploit, to the point to the point that people are singing uh, sing song type. Kids are singing songs in the street. You know, Saul has killed his hundreds. David has killed his thousands. And all of a sudden, Saul is not happy with this, and he's finding ways to do David in. And David after a few coincidences, figures out, I think he's trying to kill me. And he goes to Jonathan, his brother-in-law, the Saul's beloved son, uh, one of many, but his, his favorite son. He says, hey, Jonathan, um, uh, I don't know how to say this exactly, but I, th- I think your dad's trying to kill me. David, my dad wouldn't try to kill you. Uh, well, if not, he's doing a great job at not trying to kill me because it's very close and personal. And Jonathan said, well, let me just check some things out. So he's having dinner with the family and some of the main guys in Saul's retinue. And a couple days goes by, and and David hasn't shown up at a meal. Finally, Saul says, hey, what's with David? Where's David? Jonathan says, oh, uh, he's part of the family, but he's also an employee of the the kingdom, right? He's one of the main warriors. And he said, well, David asked for time off to go to Bethlehem, his family home. He has a family obligation. He needed to be there. Saul erupts into anger. He accuses Jonathan of plotting against him. He takes a spear and he throws it at Jonathan, narrowly missing him in the wall. And all of a sudden, Jonathan thinks, I think David might be onto something. And so he gets word to David. He goes out into a field uh, and he has a boy who's a runner with him and he shoots an arrow and he goes, Oh, did you go get the arrow? Oh, no, I think it's further. No, I think it's further. And David's hearing this going, Further, further. And so David leaves. He makes his way. He has nothing now, right? He has nothing in his hand, literally. No food, no weaponry. He's just like, okay, i got to make a run for it. He runs to a town called Nob, N-O-B. 
This is because Shiloh, the main center of worship, long before Jerusalem, Shiloh was the place. It got destroyed. Nob is the place where all the priests of God have congregated. All their families, all the community that supports the priesthood. He goes there, and he goes into the, the, you know, the temporary temple, and he sees uh, the priest, Ahimelech, and he says, um, I'm on a secret mission from Saul. He's obviously, I have nothing. I had to leave right away. I'm undercover. Can I get some food for me and the guys? And he goes, we have no food here. I got the bread, the ceremonial bread that's on the altar. That'll be fine. Okay. And I need a weapon. Do you have a sword? He said, well, not really. It's a temple. But I, we do have the one, the one sword we have is Goliath's old sword. I'll take it. He leaves. He meets with his men. Uh, and they start to build a response to Saul's out-of-control, insane destruction of the country. Which, as you know, results in David being called by God, uh, confirmed by Samuel the prophet to be a king. In the meantime, Saul is on a tear. A man was standing close to where Ahimelech and David were speaking, and he was Saul's chief outdoor guy. He, he, he was in charge of making sure all the flocks were on the, on the, and the cattle and sheep were taken care of. Very powerful guy in that economy. He happened to be there, and he went right back to Saul and told him what had happened. Because Saul says, hey, apparently David's left. I hear he's creating an army. Why have none of you? He's got all his leaders in front of him. Why have none of you told me about this? And Doeg steps forward and says, well, I'll tell you. This is what happened. Saul calls in all those priests, and they think they're being invited to be with the king for some ceremonial purpose, and so they show up, and he said, hey, so uh, what's the deal with David? Why didn't you, you tell me about your conspiracy with him? Ahimelech says, what conspiracy are you talking about? Well, you gave him weaponry, you gave him food, you gave him shelter, and only Doeg was brave enough to tell me. He said, we had no idea that there was a conspiracy. He's a, he's a man of God. He works for you. He's... he's He's in good standing. He came and asked us to support him on an errand for you, and that's what we did. He said, oh, great. Kill them all. None of his men would move to do it. Doeg said, I'll do it. Doeg and his henchmen killed 85 priests in the presence of Saul. They then went to Nob, and they killed everybody in the village. They destroyed the whole place. This is a grisly story to be talking about between Thanksgiving and Advent. Why even have this conversation because this is not a naive and wishful thinking thing that we're talking about. We talk about thriving and growing in the Lord. And specifically today as we wrap up this series and we talk about living your faith. This is the world in which we live our faith. Because the, the, the thing that I just described is happening every single day somewhere in the world. It happens in a bloodless way in Washington, D.C. Or Sacramento. Or London. Or Paris. It happens in a way that's very under the radar and, and according to the law. People do rotten things to disenfranchise other people under the cover of authority and law. Then all kinds of people are doing it in ways that are just out and out outrageously um, destructive and nobody seems to be able to stop them. So that's the world we live in. I ask you the question, are you a person of faith? Are you a person of faith? Uh, I was asked that in a conversation with a young guy. He, he was a warrior. He was um, a guy who was preparing to be a Navy SEAL. And during the very end of his training out in Coronado, he fell off a structure and broke his back. So he's out. <clears throat> but he, he continued to work uh, with the Navy SEAL organization. And at one point he said, you know, I see all these SEALs uh, going out of the SEAL uh, family and it's usually not a good transition for them. So he's trying to, he, he decided he wanted to be part of something that would help SEALs make that transition. And that's a whole other interesting story. But in the meantime, as he's been doing this and dealing with his injury and dealing with this whole new chapter of his life that he didn't expect, uh, uh, God had been doing a work in his life. And he'd been going to the rock. And he heard Miles preaching and, and he starts making these baby steps toward Christ and then he makes a commitment and he and his wife are starting to grow in their faith now he's talking to me because some people said you should go talk to Steve about your idea so we're sitting in my backyard talking about the idea they didn't bother to say Steve is a pastor 
So at the right moment, he's trying to tell me about this important part of his emerging story. He goes, he, and, I, and this really just incredibly strong go for it guy is, is, is at a lack of words. And finally, I said, are you a man of faith? Are you a person of faith? I started laughing. I said, kind of. Uh, on my best days, yes, I am. My wife, definitely a person of faith. I'm, I'm in baby steps in that direction. And he's, he's laughing. He goes, okay. And I said, actually, I'm a pastor. He goes, oh, my gosh. They didn't tell me that. I said, yeah, I know. Uh, that's what friends are for. They just set other friends up to have awkward conversations. And so we, then we launched this incredible conversation about what he thinks God wants him to do and what he's you know, now doing. And so I thought, wow, what a great question. Are you a person of faith? Because he didn't know me, he asked me a question. It was an authentic, honest question, an important question to ask me for me to stop and think, okay, I'm a pastor, but does that mean I'm a person of faith? Well, I, I'm, I'm a member of this church. Yes, okay, great. Are you a person of faith? Well, I've been a Christian for a long time. Mm, way to go. Uh, are you a person of faith? I've read the whole Bible 50 times. Nice. Are you a person of faith? Right? It's a penetrating question. How would you answer that question? What proof would you offer? If you were accused of having faith, is there enough evidence to convict you? <laughs> is another way to look at it. Well, they accused me of having faith. Thank goodness there was no evidence. I, I got off that charge. Hebrews 11. Uh, don't read it right now, but read it later. If you read the Read, Think, and Pray that I sent out, it's the longest chapter, I think, in the Bible. Um, it goes on and on and on. And the, and the theme is this phrase, by faith. Uh, the writer of Hebrews uh, is listing all these people in the Faith Hall of Fame who live by faith. And so that becomes a refrain for having faith and living your faith by obeying God, even when things don't work out the way you planned them to work out. And so uh, I love that, because by faith, is, by faith is the only way I can explain my life since Jesus came into it. By faith. By not just my faith, but by the faith he's been building into me and into everybody who receives him. By faith, I believe Jesus is God incarnate, Messiah, Savior, Priest, King, and Lord. By faith, I believe I'm forgiven through Jesus' atoning sacrifice. By faith, I believe I have worth and value. By faith, I believe I have a purpose and a mission in life. By faith, I believe God is making all things new in Christ, including me. By faith, I believe in the power of God to transform marriages and families and cultures. By faith, I believe we're all called to teach, proclaim, and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus. By faith, I believe God helps us see and experience what is otherwise not visible, that is, his kingdom. By faith, I believe in a new creation where sin, evil, and death will be defeated. And replaced with peace, love, and understanding. So does living by faith describe you and the journey you are on currently with Jesus? It's, it's, it's similar, but a different quality of question and declaration than just, I go to church, I'm a Christian, I've read the Bible. See, our confession of faith proclaims our direction, not our perfection. By faith is a confession of faith. By faith, here's how I am. Here's who I'm becoming. It's progress now, perfection later. So really, it's a confession about a direction. Not that I've arrived and I'm going to tell you how I did it. We will be perfected one day. We will become complete in Christ. We know that. It's a promise of God. The Bible says we don't yet know what it will be, but it's going to be really good. Here's what uh, the writer of Hebrews says about that, on Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. See, faith is not passive, it's active. He also says in verse 3 of Hebrews 11, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. He did something impossible and uh, wonderful. The writer of Hebrews also gives us a functional working definition of faith. This will be familiar to you if you've ever read Hebrews. This is, a, this is from Hebrews 11, 
chapter 1. I mean, chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is, is confidence in what we hope for and assurance in what we do not see. Confidence and assurance. Not confidence in who I am and what I can do, but confidence in what I hope for in Christ. Assurance, not because I am so certain I can do anything, but assurance about what I do not yet see, and that is God is making all things new. So confidence in Christ means we live with pragmatic confidence in Him. If God says it, He can do it. Me, not so much. But God can deliver what He promises. Assurance is that God's authority and credibility stand under His claims. Hypostasis is this word for assurance. Hypostasis, it means to stand under. So if you say, well, I understand that, it means, it means I'm, I'm, I stand under all those facts and all those things you've just told me, and I embrace them, I understand, I get it. So by faith, we can count on God to fulfill his promises and guide us through life because he's standing under us. He's supporting us. So three quick points. First of being this, faith changes how we think about and understand God and our life's purpose. Faith changes that. If a per- person says, yes, I'm a person of faith, and, and you start not interrogating them, but talking to them about what they've experienced, what they've learned, and what they're doing, and there was absolutely zero indicators that they think about or understand uh, their life purpose or God's purpose for them, then you realize their faith hasn't really developed. It hasn't gone anywhere yet. Uh, I, I opened a lemon off one of our trees, and there were three little seeds in it with little green sprouts coming out of it. This is one of those Eureka lemons. You know, they get the size of a football. They get huge, and they look so great sitting there, and they're not as good as the Meyer lemons, so we always pick the Meyer lemons, not the Eureka ones, but they're just great to look at. And this thing, if it fell on you, uh, it, would, it would hurt. And finally, it, it fell off. We picked it, and, 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 and the seeds had been hanging there so long, these seeds inside were trying to grow, but they couldn't really grow. So I put them in a little pot. We'll see what goes on, right? <laughs> Faith changes how we think about and understand God's purpose for us. Not faith in faith, but faith as an objective revelation from God that we can experience. Everybody you meet will have faith in something. The issue isn't really, do you have faith? That young guy talking to me was saying, trying to get to talking about, do I have faith in Christ? He didn't want to offend me. Our faith doesn't give us control over life's events, but it does give us choices, right? You can control almost nothing. You're responsible for a lot, but you can control very little. You're responsible for your kids. You can't really control them. The smaller they are, yes, you can pull that off for a while. But even though they're not big enough to say you and one army, verbally, they will take you apart. If you want to be reduced to rubble, just ask, just challenge an 11-year-old girl. Their laser-like logic will look through all of your hypocrisy and your power play, and they will reduce you to rubble, and you'll say, smells like smoke here. Oh, that's right, because I've been reduced to rubble. Um, I might be exaggerating a little bit. You can't control anything much. When you do succeed in controlling it, you will destroy it. That's for sure. So everyone has faith in something. We're all born with the capacity for faith. I love the way G.K. Chesterton said it. When men and women cease to believe in God, they do not believe in nothing. They believe in anything. Why? Because we're hungry to have faith in something. The market, luck. If I can just meet the right person, if I can have the right client, etc. So the first point being that Faith changes how we think about and understand God and our life's purpose. Second point is this. Faith transforms how we manage our life by linking me and we. Life uh, is, is full of potential if you're just thinking about me. All things I can do, I'd like to experience. But it really doesn't kick into high gear until it's connected to we, right? In a sense, though we're responsible and we can make choices and commitments and do great things, it's only because somebody somewhere along the line is cooperating with us, either allowing us to do those great things, showing us how to do them better, 
including us, saying, hey, I see some potential in you. We aren't alone. We're part of a community, a household, the body of Christ. Faith reframes our priorities, what's most important to us. It, it, it reframes how we face problems. It reframes how we make our plans. Why? Because I'm part of a community now. I, I think about other people as well as me. Not to please them, to compete with them, to compare myself to them, but because we're part of a community. I understand that there's a level of accountability that is also the same thing as support. See, support and accountability are two sides of the same coin, right? Support is what people say, hey, can I offer you this? And accountability is our response by saying, would you help me with this? So support says, I, I believe you can do it. Accountability says, since you give me permission to ask, when will you do it? So faith transforms how we manage our life by linking me and we, right? It's how we think about God and our purpose. It's how we start to understand the community that he's called us into, the body of Christ, the people of God, the oikos of God, the household of God, oikos, like economy. So faith lifts us to a higher standard and connects us to love, to grace and truth through a community, a living body over which Christ is the head. Which brings me to the third point, and that's this. Faith releases God's power in us, blessing us and blessing others through us. He wants us to understand. He wants us to be part of a a community. And then he wants to release his power in us and through us to bless that community and to bless other people. Not in the name of that community necessarily, but the name of God's kingdom and the name of God himself. So faith releases his power in us. Why? Because Jesus Christ stands under us. And he gives us his Holy Spirit. Uh, We can stand up under anything when he is in us. That's why Paul says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not your glory, but because you bring the glory of God with you wherever you go. That power is in you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. As somebody has said, you know, you and and God are a majority. Because it's you in a community standing with you, being, being held up by the Lord himself. So living by faith gives us courage and wisdom and resourcefulness and resilience. We'll we'll face the hard things. We'll seek out the hard things. We'll find ways to get the job done, not just because of our ingenuity, but because we say, Lord, lead us, guide us, show us. Teach us in this very process. Therefore, our faith matters in every important decision we make. Are you a person of faith? Here's how you can tell. It's not, Lord, should I brush my teeth today? That's a trivialization of faith. But it is, Lord, how should I care for my body? How should I care for my soul? How should I care for these people to whom I've committed myself, my spouse, my children, uh, my, my family and friends, my community? Every decision matters. Lord, if I take this job, what are the implications of that? If I do this, what's the implications of that? This is where Paul was wrestling. He, he was in prison the first time, and he, he got out and went on to do great things, but he thought he might die. And as he's writing to the Philippians, he says, you know, I might not make it, but I don't know if that's so bad, because if I die, I get to go and be with the Lord. But if I do make it, if I survive, I get to be with you, and I, I don't know which one to choose. He says, I, I love being with you, but I, I really want to be with the Lord. So I'll leave it in his hands. I'll, I'll praise him and glorify him in either way, right? Powerful. He was wrestling with a decision. If somebody gave me the choice right now, you get to go be with God in, in, in the presence of his glory. Or you can stay here and live another 40 years. Oh, man. That's tempting. And probably what you say is, you know what? If, you, if the promise still is good 40 years from now, and you're going to be with me the entire time, I'll stay here. I'll stay as long as you want me to be here. Yeah, our decisions matter. When you go shopping, what you buy... How much you spend on stuff. It's never, is it okay to have a good life? It's always, hey, what's the best life I could have? And can I do it with, what's the value proposition here, right? So it's being not penny wise and pound foolish. It's saying, hey, I might spend more, but this is a better value. Therefore, I'm being a better steward. Okay, this is not buying dog food on sale, even though you don't have a dog, you know, because it's a good deal. But this is really, all the decisions decisions you make, what would be the best thing? Aesthetics matter. Your, your love of beauty and design and, and all that, all that matters. It's not, it's not superficial. 
When it says in the Bible, don't love the world or anything in it, what it's saying is don't buy a false narrative about what will make you happy. Don't worship the wrong things. Worship the Lord, not idols. He made us to enjoy and thrive in all creation. So therefore, your decisions aren't so much, if it's bad, it must be Christian. If it's hard, it must be Christian. But rather, does it make me feel more alive and connect me to the heart of God and to the heart of people? So we use our resources wisely and creatively to serve God and minister to people. We, we value self-care. We value caring for others. We, we look for ways to practice our faith, to apply our faith. Sometimes that's a strong yes. Sometimes that's a strong no. Sometimes it's simply saying, I need to think and pray about it. Personally, I can say I never imagined the quality of life I now live by faith in Christ. I think about, I was thinking about this yesterday and just reflecting on this whole weekend of you know, Thanksgiving and going into Advent. I thought, I, I couldn't have imagined the life I live. I don't mean from a material standpoint. I think, I think, gosh, from just the quality of life I live, this would have never been possible but for Christ. Maybe I could have been rich and miserable. I don't know. Maybe I, sure, maybe I would have got married twice, three, four times, I don't know. Um, can you relate to that? Are you sitting here now thinking, uh, yeah, it's true, I really can't imagine the life I live now, but for Christ being in my life. I'm going through the hardest things I've ever thought going, I've gone through, and I, I can probably blow my brains out if I didn't have Christ. Or with all the wealth and affluence and comfort I have, I see it as an opportunity to leverage it for God. Uh, or, or whatever it is, the scenario is for you. I, I've never seen people care for one another more like people who know Jesus. I've seen people who don't know Jesus care for people, but I've never seen the continuity, the consistency, and the creativity, and the, and the lack of strings attached that I have in people who walk with Christ. I've been immensely moved by how you care for the needs of other people. So today we wrap up this Thrive and Grow series. So how do we... How do we live into this thrive and grow experience? We've been talking about it for weeks, taking all the aspects of it. So it's meant to be a, a real experience. It's meant to lead us to that place where David ends Psalm 52. How's that going for you? What are the next steps for you? Living your faith means living in tension between clarity and mystery, the if and the then. If this is true, then what? And the now and then. This is the world we live in, but there's a better one coming. What do I do in the meantime? How do I live into the reality of now, knowing that something better is coming? Advent will remind us of this. All those wrapped gifts, you go, I don't know what they are, but they're good. Didn't that torment you as a kid? If your family had the tradition of Santa would bring gifts on Christmas Eve, but in the meantime, all these gifts start appearing, you know, family members putting gifts under a tree. And, you know, a lot of you could have been in the CIA, Secret Service, FBI, because you found ways to figure out what was in those packages. I don't know all the ways you did it, you know, but you found ways to either take it all apart, see it, and put it back together again, or shaking it, or weighing it, or, you know. But there's that anticipation of what's, what's in this? What are, these, what are these gifts? That's a bit of where we are right now. Is it moving into Advent? That's where we are in history. Is the Lord coming back tomorrow, tonight, next week? I hope so, but I don't know. So I will say, Maranatha, Lord, come. And I will live fully today and fully tomorrow and fully the next day. Dear friends, now we are children of God. What, will we be, what we will be hasn't yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's out of 1 John chapter 3. Paul writes to the Corinthians, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So our faith doesn't, as you know, come tied in a neat package. It's messy, it's, it's confusing sometimes. It some, sometimes it doesn't seem to make a difference at all. Sometimes people raise kids who know Christ and kids reject Christ. Sometimes you've done everything right and everything goes wrong. Sometimes you see people who've done nothing right, and all of a sudden everything comes right. <laughs> you go, okay. 
But we do know that there's more to come. In the meantime, God is calling us to follow him. He's calling all people to follow him. So what people, practices, experiences support your faith and help you deepen it? Are you taking advantage of those? They're gifts, not burdens. Who do you support and who do you encourage in their faith? I'm really busy. Get over your busyness. If you're not caring for somebody else's spiritual development, you're missing the point of your life. Surely you could find some time to think about somebody else. God will complete what he's begun in you, so stay faithful and pay attention. So I'm going to read you a list, and, and it's just a simple list. I won't go into all the details. Maybe it'll, we'll come back and, and look at this another time. But here's what living your faith in Christ looks like, the now and the then, then the if and the then. If this is true, then what are the implications of that? For example, you can know God. So, oh, and you must continue learning about him and from him. Oh, okay. You can be born again in a moment. And it will take your entire life to understand it. The Bible is all true. That settles that. Well, it actually starts something. And it opens a universe of discovery to you. Never stop learning, never stop reading. Read the Bible, but read a lot of other stuff. Study a lot of other stuff. Pay attention to what God is doing. See the universe he's made. For those of you who are scientists, thank God for that calling that you're taking to look at all those things that enrich the world and make the world a better place. For those of you who are studying better ways to use money to develop land, to help people get justice, to help people grow and develop and nurture, to take care of people when they're helpless and hopeless, it seems. You are opening a universe of discovery. Trust uh, leads to stronger faith. Oh, yeah, and embracing your questions and doubts also leads to stronger faith. You can enjoy being in the church, and you can enjoy living in the world and loving the world in Jesus' name. Your beliefs matter immensely, yeah, and they're confirmed by honoring God and blessing people. God is perfect, and you'll learn personally how he loves and accepts broken people. God is good, and his saving grace makes us good and moves us to do good works. God is consistent and unchanging, and we need to be constantly adapting and changing in him. God is sovereign. He will accomplish his purposes. And our choices make a difference. This is how we thrive and grow. So what's your next step in living your faith? Choose to live for God and then commit to learning how. He wants to teach you. He's given people and resources to do that. Don't be afraid. Dive in. He's with you. And you will not only be able to affirm the first part of Psalm 52, the first seven verses, you'll be able to affirm the last two. And that will change everything. So Lord Jesus, I pray that you would continue changing everything. Because we're living our faith in you one day at a time. Out of thanksgiving, out of anticipation, uh, we see that you are the hope. That you alone can provide what we really, really need. So for that, we give you honor and glory and praise in Jesus' high and holy name. Amen. Uh, so this is a time of offering. Uh, if you want to give financially, um, do that after the service or do that when you get home and, and uh, make your plan for how you're going to uh, do that as you finish up the year. Right now, though, this time of offering is opening your heart to the Lord, opening your hands to the Lord, opening your mind to the Lord. Lord, what do you want to do in me that you're confirming today? What do you, what do you want to do in me that I'm resisting and trying to rationalize away? What wonderful thing do you want me to do that I'm a little scared about? What hard thing do you want me to face that I'm nervous about? Uh, that's the offering we're bringing to the Lord right now. So as, as you hear the music, as you sing, uh, let him speak to your heart and, and think about the things you might want to express by way of gratitude.
God wants you to do today by faith. Maybe it's to take a nap. Maybe it's to write a letter. Maybe it's to give a call to somebody. Maybe it's to open up a book you want to read that will help you grow in your faith. What does God want you to do by faith this week in this season we call Advent? What do you think God wants you to do by faith in terms of your finances, your relationships, your highest aspirations, your biggest problems, your health, your wealth, uh, your concerns for others? By faith, what do you think he wants to do? Uh, I tell you what he wants to start with. He wants you to know how much he loves you. How much you belong to him and matter to him. And you being you in him is enough. Because that's enough. Uh, there's something to share out of that that will bless other people. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. 
May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon us all, giving us everything we need to walk in newness and fullness of life by faith in him, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If we can pray for you, for anything that concerns you, go right around the corner to that lovely prayer garden. And Kathy, I think, will be there to have a prayer with you for whatever concerns you. You don't even have to tell her what it is. Just say, pray for me, uh, and she will. Have a great rest of the day and a fantastic Advent season.